We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Hello, welcome to episode 111 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, where Marissa is queen, captain is king, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew patron supporters. Thank you. Today's special guest is Literary Lush's podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Do you want to take a moment and tell everyone how you found Marissa's books? And then I think you've recorded with her as well, right? Yes. Okay. So I'm Megan. My uh, podcast partner is Samantha. She let me handle this because she knows I'm the Marissa Meyer huge fan. <laughs> so how I uh, got started, it was I was walking around Barnes and Noble as any good uh, book nerd does. Right. And I saw uh, in the young adult section, uh, Heartless, which is a book from Marissa Meyer about uh, the backstory of the queen of hearts. And so I was always fascinated by the, why is a villain a villain? And so I just picked up the book and that is to this date, still my favorite book. I read it at least once a year. Aww. And then, well, and then, then I'll definitely have to have you on at least one or two episodes. Cause <laughs> we will cover heartless. <laughs> I love it. In fact, uh, if my child had been born a girl, we were going to name her Catherine. <gasps> Ooh, did you name your son Jester? No, no, no. <laughs> Husband was definitely not going to go with that. He went with Alex. Okay, uh, that's a, that's acceptable. <laughs> um, so that's what we were going to do. And then, um, of course, after reading that book, I heard about her Lunar Chronicles and just picked those up and read through them so quickly. And for the podcast, we uh, reached out to Marissa and asked her if she would like to be on our podcast. And she said, sure. And that she was having a book being released, Instant Karma, mm-hmm. which is different than her other books um, in the sense that it's not like fairy tale ish. It's not um, fairy tale ish. And it's contemporary and it's told yes. in first person narrative, which is a first for yes. her. Yes. Uh, I was super excited to get to read that and to have her on and talk about that. And so she's super sweet. Uh, I don't uh, know how many of you have actually ever got to talk to her, the, your fans, but she's really, really nice and really. Yeah, I've gotten to do three episodes with her um, and I'll be doing another one in a couple months when we finish Ferris. So she does an episode with us every time we finish a book. Oh, um, that's so cool. And she actually sent me a signed copy of Instant Karma that I wasn't expecting. So that was really exciting. And I know Aww. we've had a few patreon members who've met her and i'm sure there's some listeners who've met her as well and i know every time i've spoken with her she's been like very kind very down to earth just like a super just the nicest person what you would hope your favorite author would be basically because because there's always that terrifying thing of like what are celebrities really like like this last year ruined ellen degeneres for me so (laughs) i (laughs) i was super super worried about actually talking with marissa because i was just like she she's my favorite because I love Heartless. It's my favorite book, and I really don't want to ruin this. Yep. But then, and then also, <laughs> the, 
But when we started the podcast, my friend and I, and I was like, just randomly thinking, because, you know, we were like, oh, let's do a podcast where we can, you know, occasionally have the authors on and blah, blah, blah. And in my head, I was like, wouldn't that be so cool if we got to have Marissa Meyer on and I got to talk to her and then I was like geeking out. I'm like, that will never happen. She's too busy for us. No, that's exactly how we work because our <laughs> our entire podcast is about Marissa Meyer. And so in the beginning, we used to joke around like, oh yeah, we'll just ask Marissa when she comes on because she <laughs> obviously listens to this podcast. And then now she actually does come on uh, like once or twice a year so. It's, it's still kind of surreal. Absolutely. And I I think I even told my uh, podcast partner, Samantha, I was like, if our podcast doesn't even go anywhere, just getting to talk to her, that was that completely cool. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm good. I'm, good. <laughs> I'm on a first name basis with her. I think I've, I've achieved every life goal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's so cool that you interview um, authors. If you ever get a chance to interview Abigail Spagari, let me know, because she's my critique partner and I adore her. Um, So I'm always excited when she goes on podcasts and does interviews. I feel like even though I know her really well, every time she does an interview, I still learn something new. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We have one author that we've gotten to know super well doing our podcast and her name is Angela Roquet. And her books are phenomenal. And she's just the nicest person ever. She sends us signed copies and she like helps us out with like giveaways and just, it's one of those things like it almost feels more like a friend than like, it's surreal that she's an author and that she comes on and talks to us all the time. And um, my niece was even like looking at her books and I'm like, yeah, I get to talk to this author. And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. You know, we are on first name basis with her and, you know, this is all the books she published and all this and that. She's like, that's so cool, which, you know, is good for a a 10 year old to see and hear that you get to talk to the author. I mean, it's kind of unheard of in the podcasting world to be able to collaborate with the creator that your show inspired. Like, there are countless Harry Potter podcasts. None of them get J.K. Rowling. There's right. like ten. There's like ten different Friends podcasts. It's not like they have Jennifer Aniston on episodes, right. you know. So I just kind of assumed that would be like an, an unreachable, unobtainable thing. Yeah, and then, I was like, one or two authors, <laughs> but we've been pretty good about getting a few of them. Yeah, and then I, I went to the North Texas Teen Book Festival. Um, and I, I brought her like a t-shirt and a postcard and a cup and it all had like my logo, my information and everything on it. And she was like, there's a podcast about my books. And I was like, yeah, we're like almost at one year. <laughs> yeah, that was really exciting. And she's been super supportive ever since. She's even had me on Happy Writer, which was like, oh, that's so cool. It, it was, was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she's just been, she's wonderful. And I, Every time I talk to her, I'm really glad that I chose her to make my podcast about because mm-hmm. I feel like it just it it feels like gratifying to know that like I chose a good person. Yes, yeah. and like you said, yeah, I'm being nervous, and then after I talk, oh, and then she was so nice about because like before we did our interview, I was like, now I'm a fan, and I'm gonna try not to geek out. But then I yeah. totally geeked out. And so I was like, I felt like after the podcast, I was like, well, she'll definitely never talk to us again. And then when she's like, that was fun. I can't wait to do it again. I was like, oh, awesome. Yes. So. I <laughs> I had to rein, every time I talk to her, I have to rein myself in and try yes. to 
try to remain like a professional, approachable person. (laughs) (laughs) And I I know I talked to my husband about it and he's like, I'm actually really proud of you. I thought for sure you would like fangirl so much you wouldn't even be able to talk. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's probably a good thing that I haven't met these people in person because that might be I might not be able to control myself then. At least back here, I can be like holding a stress ball and not like. (laughs) I actually did get to meet her in person. So that that was really cool. cool. (laughs) So let's talk about what you're currently reading right now. Uh, I'm actually currently reading. Well, I just finished reading uh, What to Expect When You're Expecting. No. um, (laughs) I can't believe I read that whole book front to back. Um, But I took it one. uh, Oh one week at a time with that because I was like I don't want to jump ahead and know what's coming up but um, no, <laughs> that's the kind of thing you don't want spoilers for <laughs> uh, but uh, in reality what I'm currently reading which I've been reading for like a year because every time I pick it up I'm like oh yay and then I was like oh crap I gotta read this other book for my podcast um, <laughs> I'm currently reading Stepsister um, by Jennifer from- Donnelly yes awesome that's on my list <laughs> it's, it's really good and I'm and uh I was hoping with being on maternity leave that I would get to read a little bit more uh but that is not what has happened <laughs> yeah so, I'm hoping uh now that um uh, my mom is coming around uh more frequently to watch the baby that I'll be like okay I'm gonna take an hour to go read you got him right <laughs> So. I would love that. Yeah. I um I know a friend of mine when she had her baby, she couldn't read and she was like, Yep, and now I'm obsessed with audiobooks. <laughs> audiobooks have definitely uh been very, very helpful. Yeah, I I don't have any babies, but I couldn't read as much as I do if I didn't have audiobooks. I I, I consistently go back and forth between like if I, especially if I have the audiobook and the hardcover or something, like mm-hmm. I'll listen to a chapter and then it's like, okay, I have some free time now. I'll actually grab the book. <laughs> I did the a uh, lot of the editing, photo wise and video stuff um, for our podcast, and a lot of, like I said, a lot of photos and drink photos and whatnot. And so I'll be like, ah, I don't have time to sit and read, but I can listen while I'm editing. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I ended up. I think the first time I listened to an audiobook was for one of our podcast books. And I was like, this is pretty awesome. And it was a really good audiobook. Like sometimes there, you know, I had one that wasn't fantastic. Yeah, they're hit or miss. But other times I've been like, man, this is a really good read. And listen, I guess listen is the better word. So, it works. It's like when it's like when you're talking about that said, but it's it's an inanimate object that doesn't have vocal cords and speak, but you know what it means. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I finally finished the Vampire Academy series, which I know will make Amanda very happy. <laughs> and I actually am finishing the Glittering Core series right now. I'm almost done with the third book, which I am obsessed with this series. I've never read it before. And I, oh. No shame. I totally bought it because I was like, oh my God, those covers are gorgeous. I don't even know what this is about, but I need those covers. So I'm very happy that it turned out to be like a really good series. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to be looking at your uh, bookshelf and seeing those pretty covers and be like, that's a shame. They weren't that great of books, but they look nice. But the covers are gorgeous. (laughs) And then next I'm reading The Golden Braid by Cameron Doki. I think that's on my list. 
Cameron Doki is great. She writes fairy tale adaptations. They're usually a little bit closer to middle grade reading level. And then they're relatively short, just like two to 300 pages, which is why I typically recommend them for like impatient readers. Because I know a lot of times I'll recommend a book to people and they're like, that thing is huge. I'm not touching it. And I'm like, I got you. Let me recommend this other thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's like uh, the Witcher series. Man, them things can... uh... They can uh, they get thick. Yeah, I'm like, I've decided just to listen to the audiobook on those. I'm like, this is too much for me. So I like to crochet. And so one of my favorite things mm-hmm. is to, I'll listen to audiobooks while I'm working on a project. That's a good idea. Yeah, because with being in grad school, I don't have as much time as I used to, to, to read or crochet or really do anything outside of be glued to my computer. Uh, <laughs> so I've well, started asking. Well, like right now I'm crocheting a, a gift for a friend of mine. So like while we're recording, I'm crocheting. That's that's so cool. I mean, <laughs> over here, I'm like, oh, I wish I had free hands to be crocheting right now while we're talking. But no, it's cradling the baby and making him You're sure he falls You're keeping a human <laughs> being alive. I feel like that's far more impressive than <laughs> crocheting. I, you know what? No, no. I, I can crochet, but I'm not that great at it. Like I don't do the counting like you're supposed to and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. And I pretty much know just like three stitches and that's it. Um, <laughs> it drove my grandmother nuts when she was teaching me. She's like, you got to do this way. I'm like, no, I'm just going to watch how you do it. And I'm just going to do it that way. Um, drove her nuts. But anyways, crocheting, I feel like is a lot harder because not a lot of people can do it or understand how to do it. Whereas, I mean, a lot of people raise kids. I mean, well, that doesn't mean they do a good job, but yes. No, you, you didn't say they had to do this correctly. That's fair. Um, yeah, I've been crocheting since I was a kid, and I started with just making blankets, but I kind of my my bonus mom taught me and she like just makes blankets. So I started just making blankets, but then for Christmas she got me this book and it has all these different patterns in it, and I was basically like just trying every pattern in the book. And then I had a friend who was like, I found this um, picture of like a crochet zombie. Do you think you could make it? And I was like, probably. So now I make dolls and clothes and pillows and blankets and keychains and anything else I could think of. (laughs) Yeah. I'm definitely the blanket only. Blankets are the easiest. They are also the most expensive though. I don't think people realize how expensive it is. To crochet a blanket. (laughs) Especially if it's a baby blanket and then you got to do the tight knit, you know, tight stitch and then. Because also like I've had friends before who will be like, hey, do you think you could crochet this blanket for me? And I'm like, well, let let me look into it. And they want like the $4 yarn. And then it's like, okay, well, you know that a blanket of this size is going to take 20 skeins, right? So you're talking about an $80 blanket and they're like, what? And I'm like, so do you want to pick a cheaper yarn or <laughs> they're like, this one's really soft. I'm like, I know that's why it's $4 instead of two seventy five. <laughs> and then it's going to take me a longer time to make it because of, I remember my sister's like, I want a blanket that's the size of a queen mattress. And I'm like, what? Yep. Been there. <laughs> I made, like, um, two years later, here it is. The Burnett yarn, which is crazy soft. I love it. Um, I actually made my my husband and I a comforter with it, and it was like over $200, and it probably Ooh. took me about a year. And I finally got done with it, and we put it on the bed, and it looks gorgeous. And my husband immediately folded it up and put it in the closet, and I was like, what? And he was like, 
I'm not letting the dogs ruin that. It's too beautiful. And I was like, but now we're never going to use, like, what's the point if we don't use it? He's like, but it's beautiful and the dogs are going to ruin it. And I'm like, well, that's probably true. And he's like, that thing costs $225. We're not using it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it's just pretty then. (laughs) That's. I, I understand and sad all at the same time because I would probably be like the same way. Like, oh, I just spent all this time doing this. And I think as my and- husband, he's gotten the most. Like I I made him a an Irish flag blanket when we were dating. Um, oh. And then I made him this giant camo blanket when he was in uh, when he was in tech school and in the dorms. And he was complaining about like the crappy linens and stuff. So I made him this like queen sized a camouflage Aww. yarn blanket and then I've also made him like a scarf a hat gloves like I think he gets more than anybody else <laughs> that makes me feel bad because myself and my husband absolutely have zero things that I've made I've always <laughs> they're I've always gifts right yes it's always like here's a baby blanket for like all my nieces and yep. nephews and uh, this is actually made- I just started a project that'll it's the first I've ever crocheted just for myself and it's a blanket and it's really pretty. And it's the first time I've, I've ever crocheted anything that's like just for me. So I'm kind of excited. Like it's, it kind of feels like taboo or something. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if I'll ever get to that point. I have like two, bl- I have to finish Alex's blanket. Um, I was really hoping to finish it before he was born and that did not happen, but, uh, sometimes that's how it goes though. <laughs> yeah. And then I have my nephew's blanket that I was finishing him for him for his, uh, for upcoming Christmas. So I have to finish that. So one day I'll get to making my own blanket. I'm sure it's when, you know, Alex is at college. I only have 19 more years to wait. Well, you can always teach him to crochet. I could. If he, if he wants to, is- I should say, because my sisters all know how to crochet and none of them do it either, except, but well, my youngest sister has known how to crochet since she was like nine, but only just got into it like a year ago and she's 25. So maybe it'll be like a delayed reaction. My grandmother tried to teach my sister and my sister was having none of it. And then, uh, None of my cousins or anybody picked it up. Like I'm the only one in my family now that crochets. <laughs> and then, um, and they're all like, "Oh, can you make this?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not that skilled. I'm not like grandma. Sorry, I didn't." And then my friend asked me to teach her, and I looked at her, and I'm like, "Listen, I'm probably the worst person to teach you because I don't do it the right way." I See, really and I don't feel really, like I've had that conversation with people because I I hold my crochet hook left handed. Um. Yeah. But with my right hand. <laughs> but that's because I was taught by my bonus mom and that's how she holds her crochet hook because she is right. left-handed. And so I've met people and they're like, you're doing it wrong. And I'm like, you see this blanket that's beautiful and in one piece and has no mistakes? I can't be doing it wrong if the blanket turned out okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just different. That's all. Yeah, my first couple of blankets are all crooked and they're nothing. Because I, again, don't count. I just go, I'm like, yeah, that looks about right. And then I go and then so my mom's like, I love the blanket you made me. The color and everything is perfect, but the ends don't line up when I try to fold it and it drives me nuts. And I'm like, I'm don't sorry. fold it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what to do for you. Like I know I the was... first the first time I tried the ripple stitch, uh, it came out crooked. And that's the zigzag one. Right. That is harder right. than it looks, people. <laughs> that requires actual counting. Like a lot of the stitches that I do, once you get in the habit of doing them, I feel like you don't count as much. 
you know, like if it's just a double crochet or like right now I'm just making a, an, um, just doing a granny square. So that's like very little thought process, but like when you're doing the ripple stitch, you cannot lose count. <laughs> it will, you have to count because otherwise it won't line up correctly. And you're going to end yeah. up with a very crooked, very awkward looking blanket. And so I try, I actually try to avoid that one if I can, but I recently made a blanket for Marissa for her birthday. Aww. And I, I found this pattern that was like blue and white and brown, and it looks like the ocean waves and it has little baby turtles on it. Aww. And so I was like, oh, that's instant karma. Yes. I was like, that's perfect. She loves sea turtles. Her birthday's coming up. It's just like instant karma. And I started looking at the pattern. And I was like, oh no, this is a ripple stitch. Oh, I was like, this is going to be so much counting. Like the turtles are hard enough, but now I have to count. <laughs> oh man. It turned out really nice, but it did require a lot of counting. Whew. Yeah, no, not about that. Welcome back to a crochet podcast. Actually, I would listen to that. I would totally listen to a crochet podcast. <laughs> I'm always impressed when I find other people that are younger that crochet. Am I, I younger? Yeah, yeah, I might I'm be younger. I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm, I meant like younger in the sense of like not uh, considered elderly. Oh, I got you. I, I don't know. If not grandma. Know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's like a Florida thing, which is where I'm from, um, or what. But like a lot of people around here, they don't like they're more into the um, the what are they called cameos or something like that. The where they, it's like vinyl and they like put vinyl on everything and oh yeah yeah and make the cups and stuff like they're more into crafting rather than like sewing um so I probably can count on one hand all the people I know that know how to sew or crochet or something along that line I used to feel that way like I, I still get people that are like oh I thought that was like an old lady thing um but my patreon team actually has quite a few people that crochet so I no longer oh. feel as alone with it you know because i feel like okay well we all do it now (laughs) well it's good because it's a beautiful uh form of art in my opinion so i'm glad that it's not dying off i'm glad that people are still doing it so i I heard that at one point one like a professional football player used to crochet at games because it would keep him calm and relaxed like when he was sitting on the uh, bench he would i wish i could remember his name and I'm sure someone will correct me. Uh, I've got lots of listeners, so I'm sure I'll get an email and then I can just forward it to you. <laughs> sounds good. I'm like, it wasn't crocheting, it was knitting. And I'm like, oh, my bad. I know the yeah, difference. No, I, know I can't do knitting. <laughs> I think I've crocheted too long. I tried to learn knitting once and I was like, this is annoying. I would much rather crochet. And I just went back to crocheting. So I just yeah. don't, I don't knit at all. I just, I just crochet. I think you're either one or the other. Yeah, I know some people that do both and they're like, well, how can you like one and not the other? And I'm like, I crocheted for years before I ever learned how to knit. And by the time I learned how to knit, I was like, this is hard. I don't want to learn a new skill. I'm already good (laughs) at crocheting. So I'm just going to stick with that one. (laughs) Don't blame you. I I probably would be like, no, I'm going to pass on the knitting thing. I still would. Yeah. My um, former co-host, Ashley, is a seamstress. Now, you want to talk about, like, some crazy talented stuff? Dude, I wish I could use sewing machines because some of the stuff she's made is just incredible. She made me this beautiful Renaissance dress, like, for a Renaissance Ooh. fair. 
And she made this beautiful Hogwarts cloak for me, my house cloak. That's awesome. (laughs) So that I could wear it to her Harry Potter birthday party. (laughs) That's too funny. My mom uh, is a good birthday. (laughs) My mom tries to teach me. I can do like little bit of stuff. Like I can hem pants because that's always been a problem for me. And so my mom's like, I'm done hemming your pants. You need to learn how to do it yourself. And I'm like, okay. No. So she, <laughs> so she taught me how to do that. And I can do like a couple of things. And like for Christmas, I made um, my family these uh, rice ice packs that are also like heating packs. Oh, can, yeah. I love those. Yeah. You, hit, you stick them in the microwave to heat them up and they're heating pads. And then you stick them in the freezer and they're ice packs. Um, so I made a bunch of those for my family for Christmas one year. So she showed me how to do that, which was simple square stuff. So, I mean, really wasn't difficult, but. Right. Yeah. Ashley's made some pretty incredible stuff. And she's always like, every time I talk to her, she's like, oh my gosh, look at this pattern I'm going to do. And uh, I love it. I I can't imagine how incredible it is to like, look at some of the stuff she's created. It's the same with like art. I can't draw to save my life. (laughs) Um, All of the artwork I do is like exclusively stencil with like paint on a canvas. So I'm always impressed. Like my mother and my sister, Lindsay are like incredible artists and they can draw and sketch and it just looks absolutely gorgeous. And I'm just like blown away. And that's, that's kind of how fan art is for me too, for the the podcast. Like every time I look at fan art, I'm like, I wish I could draw. I, the ideas in my head look really cool, but they're never going to get to pen and paper. (laughs) That is why I use a camera. Yes. I'm good at uh, doing that stuff and manipulating. Like same thing with like makeup. I'm horrible about doing my makeup, but you put, give me a photo of me in Photoshop and I can make me look up great. <laughs> Maybe I, <can't. laughs> I haven't but, tried that. I, I feel like I would get carried away with it. <laughs> and you and you easily can get carried away with you, it. You can people would be shop. like, yeah, you're not that skinny and your boobs aren't that big. And I'd be like, well, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about some fan art for Fan Art Friday. We have this beautiful image of Winter and Everett, and it's by Becca Jenkins. And I love it, especially because in this chapter, we get a little sneak peek at them playing mm-hmm. with each other and how he interacts with her as a father. Um, but I just love the the... I don't know. It just feels really sweet when I look at it. I, I get kind of an awe moment. Her, her pure joy of happiness of just being with her dad. She's like, yes, that's the only thing she wants in the whole world is just to be with her dad. And he's just as happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. And it's it's so simple in such a sweet way because the the art itself isn't necessarily about like how many details can we include or, or how extravagant can we make it? It's It's very much about like, let's try to represent their the connection that, that these two people have. And I love that. So big thank you from Becca Jenkins for letting me share that. And remember, if you want to submit fan art, all you have to do is email me at princekaifanpod at gmail.com. Last week, Patreon members voted on chapter titles and fairest pages 121 to 134 is Centuries by Fallout Boy. <laughs> love it. <laughs> And um, now it's time for chapter discussion. Oh, there's some stuff going on this week. So 
Uh, last week, we left off with Queen Channery dying very unexpectedly and Lavana becoming queen, which is basically all she's ever wanted in life. Um, we're sort of in the middle of a meeting. They let her know that the head thaumaturge is retiring. And before they can even suggest someone else, Lavana is like, Sybil, which I love. I love that that we get this insight into the relationship that Lavana and Sybil have. Um, in this book, because when we get to Cinder and Cress and Scarlet, we see like the connection that the two of them have. And it's almost like they're one mind sometimes. And I feel like these origins are a good indication of how they got there. Right. Which makes me wonder, did she have that in mind when you might know this, uh, how they, you know, got started before she wrote Cinder and all those other books, because I know this is a prequel but it was wrote last well it came out out, in a way it came out in between cress and winter right um as far as i know she always had a plan for sybil to play a bigger role with lavana in the backstory to sort of explain why this young thaumaturge was so high up so early on in her career but i don't think it was until she started writing it that she realized the kind of like sisterhood connection that the two of them were gonna have gotcha yeah and despite her age and all the wishes of the artemisia families lavana stands by sybil she says she's young Mm -hmm. she's motivated she's ambitious she even reminds me of myself which gets them all to shut up real quick because no one wanted to say (laughs) no one wants to no one wants to uh contradict the queen in that aspect nope because anything you say about sybil now is you know is about the queen herself too i I love that she's like becoming very confident as a queen too i love that she's been queen for like five minutes but she's like i am so good at this (laughs) (laughs) we ended last chapter with me saying that lavana was probably walking around like i'm queen bitches like (laughs) yeah i would imagine that and just being like and and just being so proud that she does so much better than her you know her sister did or her parents did she was just like i'm better i've told everybody that i knew what i was doing and no one listened and yet look i'm thriving so suck it (laughs) The one place she's not thriving is as a wife. In or fact, <laughs> her her heart even deflates a little at seeing Everett, which is kind of heartbreaking because just a few chapters ago, her heart would have exploded at seeing him or just the thought of him. And now she kind of deflates a little bit when she looks at him, which is kind of sad considering how, I don't know, um, love struck she was maybe. Mm-hmm. Now she she feels different about it, I guess. I couldn't imagine. I love my husband so much. And I couldn't imagine having that flipped the other way. And every time I see him, I'm like, oh, I'm not succeeding in this. This isn't what I wanted. He doesn't love me. I don't love him. He's just not doing. Well, not that she doesn't love him, but it's not. It's not going the way she planned. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I'm, I'm very close with my husband. And we were actually close friends for a very long time before we started dating and fell in love and got married and all that stuff. So I I can't imagine 
looking at my husband and not being like happy and filled with like joy and excitement and things like that. So like I've been pretty um, cheesy <laughs> about how I still get butterflies when it's four o'clock because I know he's almost home from work every day. And oh, yeah. I get people that are like, but you guys have been together like 10 years. And I'm like, I know, but like, I'm such a, a nerd for love. Like I get, <laughs> I get excited about stuff like that. And I can't imagine Absolutely. like, I don't want to say taking it for granted because I don't necessarily think Lavana takes it for granted, but maybe just um, coming to terms with the realization that she's more invested than he is. And that's, I yeah. think, what disappoints her so much. And I think she wants him to love her more than, you know, he loves his daughter, which is never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. No. I don't have kids, but I just assume that that's how parenting works. Plus, he actually wanted a life with his daughter. Yeah. And Lavana was forced on him by Lavana. So, yeah. Yeah. Never going to happen. So. Lavana is now in the throne room, which is her favorite room. Shocker, that one, right? That the yeah. throne room would be her favorite place. But she feels like a real ruler when she sits on that throne, when she's in that room, when she's in her element. She feels like she's really made it. And this is interesting. They're discussing her stricter work hours in the outer sectors, which are working, as she said they would. So she's basically like, yeah, told you, bitches. And... She did her research on how to increase productivity. So she knew it was going to work. And this is, again, where she's proving, like you said, to be a more involved and competent ruler than Channery. Because Channery at these meetings was, like, bored. And, yeah, she didn't show up at the time when she was there. She was bored. She's like, ugh, are we done already? She had basically no opinion whatsoever. Right. Whereas Lavana is extremely involved, very opinionated, very competent, and is actually giving orders and instructions, instructions to correct some of the things that are broken. Absolutely, yeah. So productivity is up at 8% with no loss of quality. And all of the families are, are enjoying her new art, artisanal delights. And they're ready to release the disease in 18 months. Like things are really going well. But there's a problem with all of the breaks that the workers are now getting. It has increased productivity, but it's also increased the opportunity to socialize. Mm-hmm socializing is how people talk. Talking is how people discuss problems. Problem discussion leads to civil unrest and we can't have that. No, because then uprises and rebellions. Which Lavana is like, why aren't my people happy? I don't understand. They have everything they could ever need. A job, extra work, all this food. Like, they should be so grateful. I gave them a break time. Like, what the heck? So here's, here's something that I find interesting. She invokes a mandatory curfew so and says that they should be spending that time with their families anyway. Here's my thing. How are they going to have families if they are discouraged from socializing? They're not going to meet people. They're not going to fall in love. They're not going to get married. Then you're going to have no labor force whatsoever, right? That would be my uh, assumption, but I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe they have a different way of communicating I, I mean, that the queen doesn't know. Uh, with the pandemic, I imagine that people were still meeting in some form of fashion, maybe not in person. Right. And socializing. Uh, so and they do, they do talk at work and interact at work. So I suppose that's always. 
And they could always end up doing arranged marriages if yeah. the population became a thing. And especially if it's just now becoming an issue for people to like not socialize, it could easily be like my friend's daughter should marry your friend's son yeah. or something. Um, you know how parents try to push people together sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, I, I do think that there's other consequences of limiting the socialization that they're not taking into consideration. Oh yeah. But you're right. If people, if people want to socialize, they'll find ways to do it. But I mean, having mandatory curfew, people are still going to get, you know, punished and then it's going to discourage it. And you're right. It's going to decrease population and, you know, families doing things unless people are doing incest, which is just, yeah. Well, and my other thing too is like, what, where are all these kids going while parents are working all day? Are there daycare systems? Cause like, yeah, they can go to school, but that's not until like age five to seven. So <laughs> where are they going up until the age of five? Do the, do, does one of the parents stay home until that age? Are there daycare systems? You know, I'm just curious what that dynamic is like. Maybe they bring them to work and there's somebody at, like they have a work daycare kind of thing. I could see that. I could see uh, that. I know I know lots of places have like daycare systems within their buildings and facilities and stuff. Especially if she doesn't want productivity to go down and she wants them to be there later. She could probably as an incentive to be like, okay, well, I'll have daycare for you, for your kids. So you just bring them and, you know, you can even rotate the parents that stay with the kids and watch them. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think that's probably a good solution that they would come up with. Especially if she's using the more time to be with your family anyways. You know, right. she's trying to use that line. That's another way to be like, see, I'm all about family. It reminds me of what we call family days. My husband is in the military and every once in a while they'll give they'll get like a random day off and it, it's called a family day. And they're supposed to go. It's supposed to be so they have time to spend with their loved ones. Oh, that's cool. It is cool. It doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> no, of course not. But but it is nice that they get stuff like that every once in a while. Yeah. So in order to enforce this curfew, they need 40% more guards, which I love that they're like, well, how are we going to enforce our curfew? And Levana is like, guards? And guards. they're like, oh, duh. And she's like, mm-hmm. You got anything else? <laughs> and they're like, well, we don't have... We're going to need 40% more guards. What are we going to do? And she's like, hire yeah. more guards. Like, why, why is this a complicated thing? Right. She's like, why hire. is that a question? That's not a good question. Let's move on. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that makes sense. We'll just hire some more. But, you know, meanwhile, they're thinking, where the heck are we going to get 40% more people to right. become guards? To become guards. Because also guards are supposed to be, like, good looking but kind of dumb and easy to manipulate. And yeah. they don't have a lot of their own own power. Um, in terms of their their gift, so I, I can't imagine that they're easy to come by. They might have to drop the the age to like fifteen or something that you can join the guards or something. Yeah, that would be a good way to to handle it, or increase the age that with which they retire. Like yeah. if they normally retired at sixty, it's like well now it's seventy. Yeah, you know. So yeah, we just we just solved that problem for them. There right you there, you go. You're welcome. They all hate us. So. <laughs> The other problem with all this productivity is that it's draining their resources even more quickly. And 
I love Lavana because she's like, are you telling me that we can't increase anything because we live on a rock? Like she doesn't already know that. Like you can practically yeah. hear her eyes rolling <laughs> when she talks like that. Yeah. It's almost like she's asking them to, for them to realize how dumb they sound when they talk to her. Like, yeah. They're like, I'm not as stupid or uninvolved as Channery. You don't need to water down information for me. I'm more than aware of what's going on. Yeah. So I also did a little research. They have what's called terraformed land, which is a hypothetical process of deliberately modifying the atmosphere, temperature, surface topography, ecology of a pl- and ecology of a planet, moon, or other body to be similar to the environment of Earth, making it more inhabitable to Earth-like life forms. Wow, that's a fancy way to say this is an artificial Earth area. <laughs> I was, I was like listening. I was like, damn. Okay. I know. I was like, well, what's the, ex-? I was like, it's basically an artificial earth. Right. And then I looked it up and I was like, so it's an artificial earth. They just use a lot of big words. Got it. <laughs> they just they, sound super smart. But this is the only thing they have to trade with because one of the suggestions is, well, we can boost our economy if we reopen trade with earth. And Lavana is like, we don't have anything to offer Earth. That's why we're creating a disease in the first place, because they have their own economy and supplies. They have more supplies than we do, in fact. And yeah. one of the things Haddon suggests is, well, we have real estate. There are areas on the moon with low gravity, and we can build spaceports and fuel and energy and exploration. Like, that was the original plan with the colonies anyway. And Lavana is like, um, we don't have a colony. I have a kingdom and I'm not going to pretend that we're a colony again, just to open up trade with earth. When I know how to manipulate earth, we just have to let the disease do it. I'm not going to be dependent on earth and neither are my people. Yeah. Very stubborn. Yes. But she also has a plan too. So she's backing it up with an actual plan. She's not just being stubborn and then dooming her people. Yeah. And and my other thing is like, I kind of get what she's saying. Like she doesn't want to be dependent on earth because then they'll never be able to cancel trade with earth. They'll never have any power when it comes to their relationship with earth. Like I get what she's saying from a, from a diplomatic and political standpoint, but the, her counselors for, they just don't have a lot of faith in the plan with the disease and the, outbreak and the antidote like they don't think it's going to work but Lavana is 100% sure that it's going to work and so every time they give her even just a little pushback she's like dude I already told you we have a plan it's going to work let's move on you're starting to waste my time and I, I think the more they go on and the more these meetings happen the more people are starting to realize that she's not going to be an absent queen like Channery and they can't just show up and be like this is what we want to do and the queen will be like sure i don't feel like participating in reality so go do whatever you got to do like lavana has actual opinions and she's not going to let them tell her what to do which is pretty i mean badass but also at the same time you should listen to your council but also she's She's right, though. Yeah, and she's <laughs> yeah. Saying, they're not listening to me. Just because you're used to someone not needing to be here doesn't mean that I'm going to be a pushover like everybody else. Right, because so. previously what happened in these meetings was basically, basically they would come to the meeting and they would be like, this is what's going on. This is our plan. What do you think? And the queen would be like, sure. Yeah. 
whatever you think is best. Exactly. And now they're coming in. This is what's going on. This is our plan. What do you think? And Lavana is like, I have a better plan. And they're like, wait, whoa, we're not used to being told what to do. And she's like, well, I'm queen now. So deal with it. Suck it up, bitches. Exactly. <laughs> because she is the queen that they'd been waiting for. I do love that line. Yes. Yeah. So that is the end of our first section. What was your uh, chapter title for this one? Uh, Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys. Love it. So the reason why I picked the song was because she's on fire. It's talking about how like she's living in a world and it's a freaking mess, but she knows she can fix it and fly away, you know, whatever. She's on fire in the sense of she's queen and she's killing it. Um, she's doing so much better than anybody else before her has done in this position. And then like, there's one line, it's like, you can try, but you'll never forget her name. She's on top of the world. Yeah, I um, completely agree. So yeah. Yeah, it's a good choice. So I chose Castle by Halsey. First of all, great song, love Halsey. Second of all, when I was reading this chapter, I kept thinking of the line, I'm headed straight for the castle. They're going to make me their queen. Hmm. because uh, that's, I feel like that's what's going on with Lavana. Lavana is like, I'm queen. I'm walking into the situation and you guys are just going to deal with it. Yes. And uh, so some of the lyrics that I think are, are really great is they're saying, I probably shouldn't be so mean. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> Too bad. That's Lavana's entire personality. They're saying I should probably keep my pretty mouth shut. They don't want her to talk back. They don't want her to have an opinion. They just want her to say yes and be as absent as Channery and her parents were. And Lavana is like, no, I'm queen. This is my castle. This is my kingdom. I'm queen and I'm not going to stay quiet. Yep. So I just love that song. And I thought it was really poetic for for Lavana's personality at the moment or forever. Lavana's personality in general. <laughs> Patreon members will get to vote on chapter titles. And what was your quote for this one? Uh, So it was on page 138 to 139. Lavana folded her hands in her lap. While I cannot imagine the people deciding they're unhappy with our rule, I can see to your point. Why don't we implement a mandatory curfew after work hours? People get time to go home and uh, let them stay there. It's time to be with their family anyways. I know it was a long one. Uh, so I picked that quote because it just, I felt like it showed the difference between her rule and everyone else's in the sense that she's like, she cannot imagine it, but she hears what her counsel is saying. She's like, I hear, I see your point. So let's fix it. Let's find a way to make that not a problem. Um, I agree. So I just thought that just spoke to her. When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. As a queen, which this chapter just was definitely about how she's just killing it. Yeah, she's like stepping into that role um, in a very successful way. And I felt that quote showed it very well just like i can't imagine why people would be unhappy but i can see your point let's do this and do it this way so yeah for that same reason i chose page 141 she was the queen luna had been waiting for she would solve this problem too for her people for her country for her throne 
Um, same thing. Lavana is queen. And she is not going to be an absent queen. She's not going to be the queen that never stopped laughing. She's going to be the queen that brings Lavana to its highest point. She's going to be the queen that makes uh, Luna as successful and envious as possible. And she's going to do that for her people, but also for her throne, because that's what matters most to her. She loves her people. She loves her country, but that throne is hers and she's not going to do anything that jeopardizes her losing it. Yes. Hey guys, my name's Abby and I co-host the Book Life podcast with my best friend, Mo. We cover fantasy, sci-fi, and historical fiction books and talk book-related topics like our favorite character types, world building, and books versus their movies. New episodes drop every Monday on your favorite platform. Now, back to your show. So part two, pages 140 to 146. I kind of love this. We're with Lavana and Winter and Everett in their room. And it's it's a really sweet insight to their family dynamic. Lavana mm-hmm. is excitedly telling Everett about being queen and how her day is going. Everett's playing with Winter while they catch up. And I love it because Lavana is like, I'm telling you, I'm good at this. And Everett is like, I'm sure you are. I bet you are good at this. And playing with playing with quote their daughter. And sure. it's a really, it's a it doesn't last very long, but it is a really sweet moment to pretend that they're like this happy little family. All right. I imagine that's uh that's what it'll be in our household in a few years, in the sense of like my husband will be playing with our son Legos and I'll be like telling him like, Oh, I'm so excited. I got to talk to this author. I got to do this. And he'll be like, Oh, that's cool. And, you know, like interested, but also, and he's like, I'm not surprised that you were able to do that. And, you know, meanwhile, they're still building Legos and I'm just sitting there excitedly talking about whatever it is I'm excited about. Yeah. I, I completely feel like that's my life already. Like my husband will be throwing Frisbee for the dogs and I'm like, Oh my God, I did this. And he's like, I knew you were going to do that. And I'm like, well, I didn't like, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, I I completely agree. And I'm kind of sad that it doesn't last very long because it's this rare moment where they do seem like a sort of typical family, but it, it really doesn't last very long. So Everett says that she seems happier than she has in a very long time. And Lavana is like, hell yeah, I am. Channery might have been better at, at manipulation, at looking pretty, at dancing, at parties, at being with people, but I'm a better queen. And this is where it starts to turn south. Everett doesn't like to speak ill of the dead. And it's been a year since Channery died, so she doesn't care. She didn't really care when Channery died in the first place, but she definitely doesn't care now. Yeah. Um, And math-wise, I want to point out, because you guys know I'm obsessed with keeping track of time, uh, Lavana is now 19 and Everett is now 28, which makes Winter about three years old. Huh. So uh, it would also make Celine about one year old, I think. So Lavana doesn't mourn Channery at all. And she even points out that the seamstress who lost her feet because of Channery probably doesn't care about her either. We also find out that Everett calls her sweetheart, but yeah. Lavana feels like it's not a term of endearment. It's just so he doesn't accidentally call her solstice. I I can see that. I can see that too. I really can. And I, I could also see why that would be... I don't know. I could, I could almost feel like if I was in her position, I would sort of wince every time I got called sweetheart because of that, if that's how I felt about it. 
Yeah. But also at the same time, like I call all my dogs by their, like I have three of them and I, you know, now I even say something like if I'm saying something to one of them, I'll even call my kid's name now. And so I can see how it's super easy to mix names up and I can see how he doesn't want to accidentally call her that because who knows what she'll do. So calling sweetheart is just like an easier way of dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it also makes me wonder, he probably never called Solstice that. No. So it's much easier to not get it confused. Yep. Yeah. I I grew up with uh, three sisters and (laughs) we've always said that we have the, that we were born with four names because that makes it (laughs) sometimes you have to go through all the names to get to the one you're talking about. It's like, Tiffany, Amber, Megan, no, wait. And you're like, wait, I did say the right name like two names ago. And yeah. My, my sister, Lindsay, will, because she's the third born. So she'll say, yeah, my name's always been Britt Beth Lindsay, not just Lindsay. That's <laughs> so funny. Um, so I, I definitely understand like not wanting to accidentally call her by the wrong name, especially because it is Lavana and she'd be crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of feel like if I were Lavana, I, I do think I would wince a little, it, it, maybe more so being called sweetheart than solstice because it's like active. If you're accidentally calling someone solstice, it's an accident. If you're saying sweetheart every time you talk to them so that you don't active, so that you don't make that mistake, I feel like it's an active thought process. And I think that's why I would take it more harshly. And she probably feels like she can't say anything because it'll make her look like a cray cray. Well, and it just brings it back to Solstice, and she's trying really hard to eclipse Solstice's entire existence. (laughs) I like like what you did there. Oh, yeah, with the eclipse. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you did that on purpose, but that was good. I did. I told you I was cheesy, right? (laughs) So Everett also points out that while she might say the people love her, right, They don't actually know her. She's never even been to the outer sectors. And he also reminds her that she's the queen regent, not the actual queen, which is a very sore spot for her, of course, right? Yeah. It might be part of the reason she doesn't get the respect she feels like she deserves when she's in those meetings because people are like, you're only the queen because your sister died and you're only a queen until her daughter is old enough to take your place. So you're temporary. Why are we letting you have this much influence? You know, yeah, you're just a placeholder at this point. Just you're just a face to hold, you know, the, the spot. Exactly. You're literally a placeholder until our true queen is old enough. Yeah. Yeah. Which I can imagine would be very annoying and would be a sore spot, especially because she's like, I'm doing all this stuff and making it better. And And she's good at it, like she said. And you're just calling me a placeholder, like, what the hell? Yeah. And it kind of undermines all of the achievements and progress that she is making because she's considered a placeholder despite how good of a job she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So Everett points out that the people don't know her at all because she never goes to the outer sectors. And even when she broadcasts, she refuses to show her face. She wears her veil and that the people think she's hiding something. And that's why they can't trust her. And Lavana is like, well, they glamours don't work on the video. You know that. And he's like, so don't use your glamour. 
be yourself. They'll just admire you for it. And this is where we turn from a slightly tense conversation to to an actual <laughs> to an actual fight. She completely lashes out. She's like, "You've never even seen me." And this is where I'm like, "Whoa, Lavana." He's your husband of three years and he doesn't know what you look like? That's real messed up, girl. That's real messed up. Because she's absolutely terrified. I mean, you know, she never wanted anyone to see her. Her sister, you know, was mean to her about her looks and all this stuff. And she's just scared that he will never be able to look at her the same way. Yeah, and that's... And Everett even points that out. He's like, it's your fault that you don't trust me with this information. Right. But it's one is but then she even I think she even says, once you see it, see me, you can't unsee it. And I need you to trust that me that I'm telling you you can't handle it. And he's like, Why can't I be the judge of that? And she's like, Again, because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. And I, I to a certain extent, I kind of get what she's saying. She's like, she's like, look, I know the extent of it and you don't. So you're gonna have to trust me that it's not gonna make our relationship better. I almost wonder if he did love her the way she loved him, if she would be more willing to let him see. But the fact that she knows he's not you know, completely in love with her, that that would just make it harder for him to love her. And, you know, Solstice was freaking gorgeous. Yeah. So she's like, I'm, I'm just going to be compared to that. And I can't compete at all, at least with the glamour. I have a chance. At least or, with know, the know. glamour, she can make herself more beautiful than Solstice. Yeah. But uh, in her own appearance, she doesn't feel like she'll ever be able to compare and yeah. so she doesn't want to give that opportunity a reason to to come to light. Yeah. We also get an interesting look at the dynamic between Lavana and Winter. So mm-hmm. Winter calls Lavana mother, but only addresses Everett. And it's been like that since Winter could speak. And it, it, it makes Lavana her mother, but only in title. And this is another sore spot for Lavana, which... Considering in the beginning, Lavana wanted to become Winter's mother so much that she, like, she was like, I'll be a better wife. I'll be a better mother. I could see why this would be a sore spot. If she could, yeah. con- if she could connect with Winter, it would even more solidify her relationship with Everett. But she can't connect with her. No. Which, uh, that's kind of sad, but it also makes you wonder how little Lavana has tried to connect with her. Well, and I wonder, too, if Winter can sense the glamour and just being like, this isn't, something's not right. Something's not true. Yeah, and then therefore kind of shuns away from it, which also would make Lavana probably more angry. Like, why are you not coming near me? And then it getting angry only makes Winter pull away further. Yeah, I agree. So Everett tells Winter to go play, and he makes himself a drink. And I'm going to go ahead and read this paragraph uh, just because I think it's important to acknowledge what whatever it is trying to say about his relationship with Lavana. I had a wife once that I could talk to about anything that I trusted implicitly. I think if you and I are going to make this work, we need to at least try to have that too. But that will never happen if you're always going to hide from me. 
this is a really big moment for Everett Mm -hmm. because previously we've been given the opinion that he was forced into this marriage, which he was, and that he's never been happy or confident in that decision. And now he's like resigned. He's like, look, if we're going to stay married, if I'm going to be in this marriage, then we need to make it a happy one as much as we possibly can. And we can't, we can't have a good relationship of any kind if I can't trust you and you're always hiding things from me. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to see, like you said, from to go from the one to not really interested to like, okay, this is what it is. I might as well make the best of it. Mm -hmm. But in order for us to make the best of it, you got to meet me halfway. You got to talk and be honest and open and we have to make this a, you know, we got to communicate, which any person in a long lasting relationship knows communication is the key. I've often had that conversation with, with people before, because they'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know relationships you need, you need trust and respect and communication. And it's like, you also need to identify what those things mean. Yeah. You need to be able to communicate with your spouse and be like, look, I've had a bad day. I need to be left alone for a little while. You need to trust that your spouse is going to respect you enough to be like, you have had a bad day. If you need to be alone, I will leave you alone. Or or the opposite. You've had a bad day. You want some extra attention and some time together right. to make you feel better. That's what we're going to do. They don't have that kind of relationship. No. And that's part of why it's not working. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that I got my husband to finally figure out, and I, because it, he was trying to solve all the, when I came home and complained about something, he was trying to solve it. Yes. And, and, finally, <laughs> I was like, and finally I was like, we're going to have to have a discussion where when I come home and I'm complaining, I need you to immediately ask, is this, are you complaining because you need me to help you solve this or you're complaining because and you need me to listen? Yeah. We had that exact time- same conversation. And I was like, cause there are times where I did want his help in figuring something out. But then other times I'm like, I'm just trying to vent. <laughs> I just want to vent. So I just need you to listen for like 10 minutes and just say, that's a, she's such a bitch. Like, just yes. with me. Like, that's all I need. So we finally got to that. We did that real early on. Cause I was like, I need you to not try to solve this because then I would get frustrated that he kept trying to say, well, you know what you should do. You should do this. And I'm like, yep. I'm not asking for you to solve this. So I'm not telling, I'm not telling you this so that you'll tell me what to do. <laughs> yes. I'm telling you this so that you'll be like, I got you. <laughs> exactly. So, you have to be comfortable in your relationship too to be able to say, this is how I need you to respond when I come at you like this. And yeah. respect that this is what I need and also not get angry. That this like is what I need. Like he could have easily gotten upset. Like, well, I don't even know why I bother listening to you because if you're just going to just do this, why don't you just go talk to one of your friends? Like he could have easily been offended and cranky. Yeah. But he wasn't. Because we have trust that I wasn't trying to come after him and he wasn't coming for me. So, and I don't think that they have that relationship and that communication. Yeah, my my husband likes to do the, oh, no, she didn't snap <laughs> thing. <laughs> That's too funny. But we, we had the exact same conversation because it's like, look, sometimes I'm just complaining because it makes me feel better to like get it off my chest. I'm not actually have I'm not actually coming to you with like please solve this problem for me. Cuz also like I get frustrated if I'm talking and he's like why don't you try this and it's stuff I've already tried. 
Mm -hmm. So I have to be like, no, I already did that and it didn't work. No, I already did that and it didn't work. Like, you know, that that's what frustrates me more is that like, it's like, you have to trust that I've already tried all of your little ideas and they're not working. So unless you're going to come up with something like you, it's the same as like, is it plugged in? Like, trust me, it's plugged in. Give me a little, give me the benefit of the doubt here, you know? Yeah. So Lavana takes this the other direction. When he says this about their relationship, not having the trust that he had in his previous marriage, she's like, so you think our marriage is a lie? To which I immediately was like, duh. I wanted to be like, wait, you didn't think it was? Like, <laughs> like, why wouldn't it be a lie? Like, I get that you guys have been married for three years, but you forced him into it. Why wouldn't it be a lie? Uh, I think I literally put in my notes, I mean, duh, but whatever. <laughs> that's too funny. So he's saying, like, you don't even know what real love and everything looks like. And she's like, well, because I'm not... I'm not solstice. And he's like, but you're still trying to make yourself look like her. Like, just tell, let me see who you really are. I'm not that shallow. I can handle what you look like. I know that there's rumors about burns and scars. I know that Channery tortured you and was always calling you ugly, but I think I can handle it. And this is where she was saying that she doesn't think he can handle it. And she, he needs to trust her that she can't, she can't share that side of her with him. And yeah, that's just, I get both points, but then at the same time, I don't feel like both people are listening to each other either. That's a big thing in conversations, not just with, with spouses, but with anyone is a lot of people when they're having a conversation, they're not actively listening. They're actively thinking about what they're going to say next. And waiting for you to stop talking to say your next thing. Exactly. And that can, that's something I have to work on constantly. Um, And I I think that's something you have to be willing to do. And it's not necessarily that Everett's not willing to do that. I think he tried to do that and he's just getting to a point where he doesn't feel like that's working. So he's, he's, he's getting pushed further and further to a point where he feels like his words don't have meaning. And Lavana, Lavana is always thinking about one thing and one thing only, and that's power. And that still applies to this relationship. By not showing him what she looks like, she's holding that power over him, whether she realizes it or not. Yeah. And and see, like, the compromise person in me was like, well, here's how we can compromise. How about each day or each week you show a little bit of your true self? So, like, maybe start with your eyes. Yeah, and you don't then, have to show it all at once and, like, like, overwhelm me. Yeah, just – and then, like, you know, if anything – like at one point you show your ear and it's got a burn mark on it and it's too much for him, you can stop there because it's only a little bit. So I, I the, 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 again, the compromise person means like, I feel like there's a way we can all get what we want here. But of course, you know, Lavana isn't going to compromise. She's like, no, I, I don't like the way I look. I don't want, like, I mean, she has no mirror. She does not want to see her true self she doesn't want anyone to see her true self I think that that's a perfect compromise but it's one that Lavana would never agree never do never because like you said the power would be completely gone then yeah because like like she was saying you can't unsee it even if I glamour it again even if I bring that glamour back up you won't be able to unsee yep what and and it's not like he knows what she looked like before 
so he can't just like remember the the her that he knew from before if that makes sense so yeah it's something that neither one of them is willing to budge on and what really bothers me is Everett is really gentle and affectionate he even cups her face at one point and tries really hard to to get her to trust him and she's like you know what drop it you're right I should plan a tour of the outer sectors and get to know my people a little better but I'm not going to show you what I look like and you need to stop asking me and this is when he told her that he doesn't trust her and he doesn't even know how to I mean I can and I completely get why he's saying that he's he's opening up he's finally opening up he's giving a her the opportunity to make their marriage a real thing and she just she it's too high of a price for her to pay that's a good way to say it it's too high of a price for her to pay it is for for lavana as a person it's too much to ask and i don't necessarily i'm i don't have burns on my body so i can't make this statement of how i would feel if i were in her position i have flaws you know I have I've I've been pretty uh open about my birthmark I have a giant birthmark on my elbow and it's called a coffee stain it's very common in Romania and it looks like I have dirt on my arm and my whole life people have been like oh you have dirt on your arm and I have to tell them like it's not dirt and I I have a a scar on it because when I was a kid I took a Brillo pad to it to try and rub it off because I thought it was dirt so like there's even it's not smooth there. It's it's got it's got bumps and it will always have bumps and it's because I as a 7-year-old took a Brillo pad to my arm because of a birthmark. You know? Like and I'm sure everybody has at least one thing that they feel slightly self-conscious about, you know? Um and and I'm not saying that you, like you need to hide those things, but I get the desire to hide it. And, oh, absolutely. You know, I embrace it now as a 31-year-old adult, but that took a very long time to get to that place. Yeah, and you have to have positive remarks from people around you. If you have people negatively saying stuff, it just makes your insecurity about that thing worse. Yeah, the the main problem I have is I'll tell someone it's a birthmark and they're like, no, it's dirt. And it's like, do you really think that for 31 years I've had dirt on my arm and I never showered to take it off? Or do you think it's possible that I know what a birthmark is? It's it's an unusual birthmark. Like I'll give people the benefit of the doubt. It's a very unusual birthmark. It's not something that's very common here in the States, but it is common in Romania and it is common in other Northeastern European countries. So I get that it's not something people see very often, but just trust me. You know, if I tell you it's a birthmark, just trust me that it's a birthmark. I feel like that would be the weirdest thing to go back and say like, no, it's dirt. To someone who doesn't know them, like it's just. It's a weird it's a thing weird to have to defend. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird thing to have to defend. So so I get that. And I, I feel like I, I don't have Lavana's insecurities and I don't have her, um, I don't know, disfigurement, I guess. Uh, but. I can see why it would be really hard for her to to share that with anyone, um, especially because, like Everett said, she has trauma from, mm-hmm. from whatever caused this, and she also has trauma from the fact that Channery spent her whole life calling her the ugly princess, and the whole court called her the ugly duckling for the same reason. So, you know, I, I feel like 
I don't want to take Lovana's side. I think you should share with your partner, but I understand where she's coming from. Oh yeah. That's part when, when we get to the chapter quotes, there's more on that that I was going to touch on. Absolutely. So, so first let's talk about chapter titles. Cause we had pretty similar ones. Yes. I was, uh, I was kind of bummed when I saw yours because I was like, damn, that's a good one. <laughs> And then, Yours is good and, too, though. I love that song. Well, it's funny because I, I was like, I don't know of any other songs. And I'm like thinking, thinking. And like I had to Google a bunch of different songs. And then I was like, well, what about this song? And then I was like, no, that's really not what I'm thinking. And then so I finally came across Pretty Hurts by Beyonce. And it was the first time I heard it. It's actually. What, oh, I love like, it. And there's a there's a uh, there's a cover by Sam Chow that I love as well yeah. um, that everyone should go listen to. Just the, the basically, um, I felt like for her, they're telling her, you know, you got to be pretty because, you know, in order for her to take the crown, she's got to be pretty. To, to, whatever's inside doesn't matter. It's got to be the outside. Mm-hmm. And pretty hurts. It hurts her because every day she's got to put this glamour on. She's got to make sure her hair's perfect. Her teeth are perfect. What her, she wears is what matters, not what's inside. Um, and then you know, she's trying to fix it and just, yeah. Oh, I know. You're handsome the way you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a good song choice. I When you picked it, I was like, oh, that would have been a good one too because I love that song. And like I said, I love the, the cover by Sam Tao. Um, and then I picked Unpretty by TLC for very similar reasons. But the main thing that I, uh, that I want to touch on is the chorus, um, you can fix your hair if it won't grow. You can change your nose if it says so. But if you can't look inside you, find yeah. out who I am too. You know, yeah. it, it's oh, I love that. It's it's exactly what Everett is saying to her. You can use this glamour to make you feel beautiful. But if you can't find the beauty from within, you're never going to fully feel beautiful. Nope. And you're going to keep searching your entire life to make yourself what you're not. That's the... Like the people who are addicted to plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. It's not, they're not pretty. It's them themselves not seeing that they're pretty. It's like a dysmorphia kind of thing. And it, it's really common with eating disorders as well. I've, I've been mm-hmm. pretty transparent about having body dysmorphia and, and eating disorders since I was younger. And it, it's very similar because you sort of have goals for yourself where you think, if I lose this weight, I'll feel confident. If I lose this weight, I'll feel beautiful and thin and thriving. And then you get to that goal weight and you still don't feel those things. Mm-hmm. And it's because you, you put a lot of effort into what you look like or what you think you should look like based on society expectations, your own expectations, the expectations of people that are close to you, the expectations of strangers on the internet. Um, But you never really look within yourself to find what you think would make you beautiful. And, you know, one of the tools that that is used quite frequently when you have an eating disorder, body dysmorphia is to constantly try to think of things that are beautiful and to remind yourself that, that you are beautiful. So like, I like my hair. I have really curly hair and I've always liked that. Um, I have green eyes. Only 2% of the world has green eyes. So I'm special, right? Um, Wow. That's, (laughs) that's unique having green eyes. And It's just whatever you find within yourself that makes you feel beautiful. My husband is a redhead and he has more freckles than anyone I've ever met in my entire life. Like it's excessive. 
But when he was younger, that was something he was teased for. That was something that he felt very self-conscious about. And the older he's gotten, the more he's embraced it and the more he appreciates how unique he is. But that takes time. Yep. That takes years of of really trying to find that inner self-confidence, that inner self-worth, that comfortability with who you really are. And Lavana has never had the encouragement she needs to be able to come to those terms. No, absolutely not. She's had the exact opposite. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your chapter quote for this one. Uh, it was page 144 to 145. It was pretty much what we've been touching on for the last 10 minutes. Uh, and I know you're, uh, it's when Everett was saying, and I know your sister said you were ugly from the first time you were a baby. And I can only imagine the kind of damage that does to a person. I picked this quote because, you know, and he was even like, I see the trauma and whatnot. And it resonated with me just because the growing up, my sister didn't say I was ugly, but like a lot of people would say my sister was a lot prettier than I was. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I, I also scrubbed freckles off my face. Um, I was a lot paler than my sister. My sister has beautiful, naturally tanned skin. And I'm like, uh, my brother used to call me albino. (laughs) It's, it's, it's not to that extent, but it's pretty, pretty pale. And so to the point where people would see both my sister and I and be like, so you guys are like stepsisters, right? And we're like, no. And they're like, oh, half sisters. And we're like, no. no. And they're like, there's no way you both have the same mom and dad. And then they would say, she's so tan and you're so, and they'd look at me and they go, well, pale. And like, so, and they would always say it with like a disgust when they said pale. So it, even though they may not have been trying to say something mean, they were still saying something mean to the point where when I was a teenager, being tan was something that I wanted to be. And I damaged my skin horribly. I went to tanning beds. I did whatever I could to be tan. And it's still to this day something that I have to fight. Like I'll put something on and I'll be like, oh my God, I look so pale. And then I'm like, but it's okay to look pale. It's better to be pale and not have skin cancer. Right. And and it, so it's just one of those things that I had to overcome. And it was hard. So I can totally understand Lavana's reasoning for not wanting to show that because she knows someone's going to call her ugly and you're just tired of hearing it. I'm tired of people saying, wow, you're pale or looking at my legs and calling up cottage cheese or just, oh gosh. Yeah. There's like a bunch of different things that I've been called or said. And it's just like, you do almost anything to never hear someone say those words to you again. And if you love someone, like the last thing you want them to see is, the imperfections, especially if you are so disgusted with them yourself. Yeah, I am. So I'm, I'm adopted. My stepfather adopted me. They met when I was three weeks old. So I didn't find out that he wasn't my dad until I was 15 and they got divorced. And looking back, it's blatantly obvious that I'm adopted. I am shorter by several inches. I have much darker hair, much darker skin. My hair is curly and my sisters all have perfectly fine, straight, thin hair. And I've got thick, dark, curly hair. My sisters sunburn like crazy. I've never been sunburned in my life. 
Oh, uh, I just like instantly tan if I go outside. Like I'm covered in tan lines because even just like half an hour outside in shorts, I'll have a tan line. That's my sister. Yep. So it's like blatantly obvious now that I'm adopted. And we even joke about it sometimes. Like my, my dad will introduce us and someone will be like, isn't one of your kids adopted? And he'll be like, oh yeah, is it obvious which one it is? Is it the one that's a foot shorter than everybody else? But, but growing up, I didn't know. <laughs> so my parents were always like trying to find reasons. Like they're like, oh, you're short. Cause you know, you were premature. And it's like, I remember when I was really little, my mom used to say that she ate chocolate ice cream when she was pregnant with me. And that's why I had, had darker skin than my sisters. Like, my mom said she used to uh, suntan out by our pool with my, when she was pregnant with my sister and not me. And so, that was, so she might have developed a, a thicker pigment. Yep. Yeah. And the other thing is like, I look exactly like my mom with the exception of she's a little curvier and she's like five or six inches taller. I have the same skin tone. I have the same hair. I have the same chin, ears, smile, eyes, like her eyes are green. My eyes are green. I even have a mole on the left side of my neck that is in the exact same position as a mole that she has on the left side oh, of her that's neck. that's so interesting. Like, I am the the little mirror of my mother. So I think also growing up, I was like, well, my sisters look like my dad and I look like my mom, you know? Right. But I, I can see where that would cause, like, such a defliction of, like, why don't I – look like everybody else what you know it's like that um one of these things just doesn't belong thing yeah and I feel like for Lavana, she feels that way with everyone mm-hmm. but especially knowing that Channery has a mirror and doesn't care about using a glamour if she doesn't want to that just proves that Channery is beautiful without effort and Lavana will never feel beautiful unless she uses those those glamours and manipulations yeah yeah So my quote I read earlier, but it's page 145. I once had a wife that I could talk to about anything that I trusted implicitly. I think if you and I are going to make this work, we need to at least try to have that too. But that will never happen if you're always going to hide from me. I especially like the first half. If you're in a relationship for a long time, I don't care if you're married or not, but if you're in a relationship for a long time, boundaries start to become very blurry within just a few years <laughs> um and that's a good boundaries. thing boundaries? <laughs> yeah that's that's a good thing I think but can you imagine being married to someone for three years and still having those boundaries no there's there's uh I always found it weird my sister's like my husband and I uh if one of us has to poop She's like, they use the guest bathroom so the other one doesn't hear. And we definitely don't talk to each other when the other one's in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Mine will be and like, she, light a candle. This is a bad one. <laughs> I was just so like, wait, what? You guys don't do what? And she's like, yeah, no. And I'm like, haven't you guys been together for like 15 years and she's like yeah so that's such a long time oh my gosh i'm like no man we leave the doors open we like coming no there's just no so so we definitely have zero boundaries so then to hear other people being like no we don't do this i'm like what the hell is wrong with you like this is your person that knows you and loves you and like they should see all of you for every little thing so that you don't have to hide who you are because that's exhausting I think um, what I usually talk about is like 
periods. <laughs> like yep. my um my sister-in-law had a baby a few years ago and we went to Walmart and she needed pads because she had a C-section. And the baby daddy looked at my husband and was like, we don't go down that aisle, right, man? And Quentin was like, dude, we've been together eight years. I know what brand she buys. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you, honestly, you don't have these types of boundaries when you've been with someone for a long. Also, my husband, Quentin, hates that women are, like, shamed for, like, like the what's like, women don't poop or fart, right? Or, like, shamed for having periods and stuff. Like, he doesn't understand why we shame women for being human beings. So... And that's, like, a testament to how he was raised. But, like, it genuinely frustrates him when men are, like, oh, women don't fart. And he's, like, oh, cool. So you don't think women should be treated like human beings? That's awesome. Yeah, my I actually can't tell you the last time I bought any of, like, tampons for myself. Like, my husband will be, like, coming home from work. And be like, what do you need? And I'll be, like, oh, I need tampons. He'll be, like, okay. And he, like, knows the brand. Like, he buys them. I don't. Which is funny (laughs) because... Because you're right, though, uh, growing up, I was always awkward buying tampons. I don't know why. Like, that just shows Because they shame women for it. Yeah. They try to make it embarrassing, and I don't get it. No, I would make sure I wouldn't go up to a male cashier. Uh, If I I had to go in a store for them, I would put other things in the basket and cover up the tampon box. Because, God forbid, someone knew I, you know, got a period. And then... um, and then later I was like, why am I so embarrassed? If anything, this is showing that I'm not pregnant at 16. Like- <laughs> That's true. That's very true. My husband says the same thing because he's like, why are people embarrassed? Nobody, no one in their right mind sees a boy buying tampons and goes, I bet that's for him. Like, <laughs> you know, funny. especially if it's a female cashier, they're like, you're a good one. <laughs> yeah. No, mine does the same thing. I prefer the Cora tampons, the the cotton ones. And um, my husband saw them on sale a couple weeks ago when we were walking around Target. And he's like, isn't that the brand you buy? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's a good price. And he put like three boxes in the the car because he's like, he knows how much they cost (laughs) even. Like he even knows when it's on sale, you guys. (laughs) And the the main thing is like, I get whatever it's saying here is that that when you're in a relationship with someone, you should be able to have those conversations. You should be able to remove those boundaries. And when you can't, that's what makes it, that's what starts to limit the connection and trust that you can have with that person. If you can't trust, you know, your husband enough to be like, yeah, I'm on my period. Can you go get me a box of tampons and him not be squeamish about it or just like in my mind, I'm like, then how did you get through the baby delivery? Like if you're squeamish about a period. My husband accidentally walked in. Um, A friend of ours had a baby a few years ago and he came to the hospital to support them. And he brought, she was really hungry. So he brought her Jimmy John's and um, he went to go into the room and he like saw a doctor and he's like, Hey, is it okay to go in there? And they were like, Oh yeah. And he went in there and she's like legs in the stirrups, crowning everything. He was like, so I guess not okay to come in. Like, And she was so embarrassed. He was like, don't be embarrassed. You just did an amazing thing. You grew a human being and shoved it out. Like, you are incredible. (laughs) Yeah. uh, When I was in uh, labor a month ago, uh, my husband was standing and, you know, whatever. And he's, he was, uh, I don't know how he didn't see because he was holding my leg. But they're like, did you want to see? And he's like, he looked at me and he's like, do you want me to? And I'm like, it's what you, the vision you have to live with for the rest of your life. That's up to you. Well, it's like, it's like Levana said, you can't unsee it. So are yeah. you comfortable seeing it? 
I'm like, you want to look, go for it. And then, right. so of course he did. And he was like, he was happy that he did. And, but I remember my sister saying she was, she was, she hadn't let her husband look because she's like, I just feel like it was too much for him. And I, I, I just don't know. And I'm like, that's, I'm, I see. And I'd be like, you're the one that has to push the thing out. So I think he can handle a glance. <laughs> you're yeah. doing the hard part. I mean, maybe it's like they, he had like a problem where if you see blood, oh, you're fine. It probably if you see He's like, don't remind face. me of the trauma, mom. I know, right? <laughs> uh, if you had problems seeing blood and you faint, then I could see he's being like, no, you don't look. Don't look because I need That's you fair. supporting That's me. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't have them taking care of you when I'm doing this. My husband has never been squeamish about anything until a couple years ago. Um, I separated my shoulder and they thought it was dislocated. Ooh. So they went to like put it back in and it didn't work because those are not the same thing. Uh, and he said, he's he's like, I actually felt a little lightheaded for the first time in my life. I was like, oh, what's this? Is this what passing out feels like? I feel like I should leave the room. Like he had never felt lightheaded in his life so he like didn't know what to do at first and he was like he's supposed to sit down right and he's like wait I should remove myself from the situation and then sit down <laughs> I felt so bad for him after my car accident that one of my procedures I had to have were uh, some needles stuck in my back Ugh. to have to have uh stuff in uh inserted in me medicine as well as like a numbing agent and it was the most painful, even after labor, I can say it's the most painful thing that I've ever experienced. And my husband was in the room watching. And later he was like, that hurt me to watch you go through that. He's like, I definitely got nauseous. I couldn't believe that's what, because the needles weren't tiny. They were pretty thick. And this is where I feel like mothers have like, not an advantage, but like just a thicker skin, I guess. Like my mom, for example, (laughs) my mom is amazing. I don't know how she does things. When I was, I think, 14, I fell and I cut my wrist and it was bad. Like you could see the muscle tissue sticking out. There was blood everywhere. And my mom was like barefoot and upstairs with me. And she like, she like grabbed a, a hair tie off my off my desk, shoved it on my arm, carried me downstairs, threw me in the car, took me down the street to the hospital. Like all of this is like barefoot and in her pajamas because it's like seven o'clock in the morning. And I was like, if I saw that, I would panic immediately. And she's like, no, you wouldn't. You think you would. But like when you're like uh, this tiny human that I'm responsible for might die, you go into like a completely different mode. Are you sure we don't have the same mom? Because my brother... My brother was at the, we were at like a beach playground and my mom was pregnant. I was maybe one and my brother was five and he was on the playground and the kid pushed him off the monkey bars and he hit the climbing steps. Oh, like, you know, those, those bars that you climb up to get to the monkey bars. Right. He hit every single one on the way down and his arm broke and the bone was sticking out. And my mom walked over, pushed the bone back in, grabbed some beach towels, wrapped it up, made sure that no sand got in there. Meanwhile, she's like nine months pregnant doing this. Oh, God. Uh, and my aunt had me, and my mom's just like, you know, called the doctor or whatever. And and I told her, I was like, how did you do that? Like, it's a, a bone. And like, just, I, I probably would have freaked out. She's like, no, you won't. She's like, you wouldn't. It's she's like, when you, you're in that situation, you kind of just do it. You don't have time to panic. And I'm like, oh, 
Okay, because no, I think I'm pretty sure I would be like, holy shit, there's bone sticking out. I mean, like I said, you'd think you would, but a a few years ago, I used to teach preschool, and a few years ago, um, one of the kids was walking up the steps of the slide and fell, and he smacked his head, and it just started gushing blood. And I immediately, like, I I took my sweater off, I put pressure on his head, I, I, like, laid him on his side to, like, stop the flow of blood, like, I told people what to do. And I remember, like, there were two moms there that were like, oh, blood, gross. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I guess I do have a little of my mom in me because I always thought in this situation I would be like, oh, what do I do? But, like, when you're – like, it's like what my mom said. When you're actually in – you might feel that way, but when you're actually in that situation, something takes over. Yeah, well, I hope that's the case for me then, that I inherit some of that from my mom because I, when I was pregnant, I'm like, I, I know it's a boy, but I want a girl. <laughs> And my husband's like, you can't possibly know it's a boy yet. And I'm like, no, it's going to be a boy. And I'm like, I don't know if I have the heart strength to raise a boy. I I mean, you say that, but like my husband never got injured and I was so accident prone and still am that I feel like (laughs) I got injured more than any of the boys I know. Like I, some of the stories I could tell you, like that thing with my arm and my mom rushing me to the emergency room was like tip of the iceberg. Like, (laughs) jeez. Yeah, no, I'm like waiting for the day that he comes, because I hate snakes. I'm imagining the day he comes to me with the snake in his hand. So I'm like, what are you doing? Put that down. Yeah, no. snakes don't bother me. I just, like, I was no, a no, tomboy, no. so like snakes don't bother me. Spiders don't bother me. Bees are fine. I don't like wasps, but bees are fine. Like, yeah. But but I don't like elevators, so. <laughs> I we hate each have our own things. Right, like I, you can hand me a snake and I'm like, oh, cool, it's slimy. But if you try to get me on an elevator, you're you're SOL. (laughs) We all have our own thing that makes us uh, uncomfortable, right? (laughs) Yes. Please remember that Prince Kai Fan Pod is a free podcast and always will be. If you'd like to show your support for the show, head over to patreon.com slash Prince Kai Fan Pod. Patreon allows you to get extra perks and behind the scenes bonuses for only $1 a month. If you can't join Patreon but would still like to show your support because you just love the show so much, head over to coffee.com slash princekaipampod. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash princekaipampod and leave a one-time only tip. Your support will help me bring you more TLC and Marissa Meyer content that you know and love. Now, let's get back to the episode. So this week, there weren't any Easter eggs, but I feel like I may have just missed some. So Patreon members, if you see one, put it on the Discord chat. Listeners, if you see one, just email it to me and I'll add it to the list. The bonus word hair appeared once and the bonus word scars appeared once. But we are running out of time for bonus words. So if you're keeping track of everything for the trivia that I do it at the end of every book, I would start keeping tallies because we're getting pretty close to the end of the book. There's um one, there's only like four episodes left of this book. Wow. Yeah, most of the books take like a year. (laughs) This is like five months. So yeah, it's it's really quick. Like we didn't start it until April and we'll be done by July. I'll tell you what though, I feel like I was like, damn it, I think we did it wrong because we do a new book every two weeks. Oh. So I'm like rushing to read books. (laughs) <laughs> yeah this you like, just read like 10 to 15 pages a week it's super chill <laughs> yeah I'm like dang it and then like I said some of the books are like 400 pages long and I'm like oh my god what did we do to ourselves 
Yeah. And let's see, that's where audiobooks are great too, because yeah. again, you can also change the speed. So like <laughs> I do, I speed it up so fast. Sometimes it just depends on the narrator. Like sometimes the narrator goes a little slower than is necessary. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, switching to 1.25 doesn't really feel like that big of a switch or switch, I think. Um, but then sometimes it's like, wow, I can't even understand you. You're like a chipmunk. <laughs> <laughs> So do you want to take a moment and plug uh, Literary Lushes podcast for everybody? Sure. So uh, Literary Lushes is a biweekly podcast where we have new episodes every two weeks. And along with the book that we read, we pair a alcoholic beverage or a mocktail, uh, depending on which episode it is. And sometimes we get to have the author on. We'd had Dennis E. Taylor, as well as Angela Roquet, Marissa Meyer, and a few other awesome authors. And if we don't get an author on that wrote the book, sometimes we have guest authors that have read the books and will join in on the conversation. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And just search Literary Lushes. And we also have a website called www.literarylushespodcast.com. And we have merchandise. We have drink recipes. We're also on Patreon. If you want to follow us on there, we have extra goodies for our Patreon supporters. So listeners, next week, we're going to cover Ferris pages 146 to 169. Um, Marissa will be coming on the podcast in uh, July, the very first week of July. So feel free to send me questions for her. But remember, this is a Ferris wrap up episode. So try to make the, the questions related to the content in Ferris. We will have plenty of time to discuss winter when we get there and instant karma and renegades and all that other stuff. But for the wrap up episode, we're just going to talk about Ferris. And then she's she's also going to give us a few clues about Gilded, which will come out this November and is already available for pre-order. As always, rate, review, and subscribe. Follow on Instagram. Check out Patreon for a chance to be a guest with me on an episode and more fun perks. Um, And that's it for this week, you guys. So keep reading, keep listening, and don't get glamoured. Bye. Bye. Thank you. The passages read for you today are from Ferris by Marissa Meyer. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guest was Megan from Literary Lush's podcast. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo. And the logo art was created by Angela Wong. Thank you for listening.